This week on the Tech Night Now Live, author and commentator Kirk McElhern will talk about Apple's iCloud and music and maybe that ticklish question whether music that you downloaded perhaps less than legally will be allowed in the iTunes Match service. We'll hear from Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. He'll talk about Google+, Windows 8, lots, lots more on the Tech Night Owl Live. So we have iCloud coming this fall, and there's a feature, Kirk McElhern, where you have this iTunes match service. So in theory, you have songs you ripped into iTunes. doesn't matter where you got them from, but you didn't buy them from Apple. If you spend $25 a year, up to 25,000 of those tunes will be matched with equivalents in Apple's library and made available for you in the cloud. Am I getting this correct? Yeah, that's what the basic idea is, and that you'll be able to then then download them to other devices. Uh, Initially, a lot of the rumors were talking about a streaming service, and Apple came up with this storage service, but saying you can download things. My guess is that once this thing gets established, it's going to also be a streaming service. Because what's the point of putting your music in the cloud if you can't listen to it, if you have to download, say, an entire album before you listen to it, the amount of time that this could take could make this not worth the trouble if you're on a mobile phone or something. So I kind of think that there's going to be a program that lets you stream as well as downloading. But basically, for now, the idea is that it's a music locker where you store your music and you can access it from other devices. All right. The key here is a couple of keys. First, the limitation is 25,000 songs, which for probably 98% of the people out there is more than enough to accommodate your library of non-iTunes, non-Apple content in terms of songs. However, there are a few people on the planet, certainly people who live in the French Alps. We know of one case where he has a lot more than 25,000 songs. So what does Kirk McElhern do? Buy more space? Is that it? This is going to be one of Apple's options, and we don't know how much this is going to cost. Remember, you're not actually buying space because you're not uploading all of your music. The, The first point here is that... It's like a license. Well, that's what it is. See, iTunes is going to use a thing that's called acoustic fingerprinting, which is something that Gracenote uses. Basically, it's going to scan a bit of a song until it gets a checksum from it, a number, an ID, and it compares that to a database. If you've got 10,000 songs and 9,000 of them are already up there in the iTunes catalog of 18 million songs, then you don't have to worry about actually physically moving those 9,000 tracks. However, for the other 10,000, technically, you'll be putting them on their server. So for now, we don't know what Apple's policy is going to be regarding 
additional uploads? Will they bill you by the, for the number of songs, whether or not you need to actually use physical space, or will they bill you only by the amount of physical space that you're using for songs that aren't in the iTunes catalog? They could also sell license packs. If you have 50,000 songs, you pay $50. <laughs> if you have 75,000, you pay $75. I suppose well, that is, could be done. If they're billing by the song, as sure. opposed to billing by space. Amazon this week just announced that their music storage service is free and unlimited if you if you have a paid subscription to their Amazon Cloud Drive. Now, that starts at $20 a year. But again, this is a music locker where you put your music. You've got to upload all of it to Amazon, unlike the way it's going to work with iTunes. However, Amazon does have software that lets you stream on certain platforms. I'm pretty sure they came out with an iPad edition this week. But I don't think they have one for Mac yet, but I'm pretty sure you can do that over the web. This said, you know, it's kind of like when you click on a sample on the Amazon site, it's one song at a time or it's a preview all. I don't know how it works in terms of making playlists or anything like that. But they're undercutting Apple in the sense that they're saying if you do have a paid contract, you can put all the music you want on it. Okay. Now, the other issue being, what if you got some of those songs in your library? We're not saying anyone does this, but we say that with a smirk on our faces. Some of the songs you got in your library you didn't get from a legitimate CD that you bought or from a legitimate music download service. So the question I guess a lot of people will wonder is, will the software at iCloud scan for digital signatures, watermarks, whatever, to find out what's pirated? Yeah, there's very little way that they can actually find out. There may be some music tracks that have been distributed with specific signatures, you know, as you say, digital fingerprints or watermarks or something like that. I've never actually heard of this being the case. What's clear, though, from Apple's information is that regardless of the quality of your music, you, if it matches, you will be able to access and therefore download a file in 256k AAC format, which is the iTunes Store, iTunes Plus format. So if you've got a bunch of 64k songs that you downloaded on Napster, and they match, I mean, they're popular enough to match among the iTunes catalog, then theoretically, you'll be able to basically download them by paying as you said earlier, a license fee of $25 a year. You can almost think of it as an, a kind of an amnesty for people who've pirated music. This way, the music companies are getting money even from people who otherwise do not pay for music. We don't know how much they're getting from this. $25 a year isn't a lot for each person. $25 a year for 200 million people who have Apple IDs, that's a hell of a lot of money. That's more money than the music industry's probably made in the last three decades altogether. I'm kind of thinking here it may be a few million. It's not going to be 200 million. It could be 5 million. It could be 10 million. But 10 million subscribers at 25 dollars a piece it's 250 million dollars it's a lot of money for the music industry if apple's giving them most of it well we don't know how much apple's giving them we don't know what this is costing apple uh you know this is part of this is using their data center in north carolina apparently but we, there's a lot of things that we don't know about this and i think for security they are not going to tell you because they don't want any specific data center or servers to be targeted 
Well, I think anyone knows where that data center is. And, and we know where that one is, but Apple's got other data centers. They've got other server farms, sure. Yeah, but people know where they are. It's not hard to find the IP addresses for these things. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think that's actually a worry, um, the, the question of security in that sense. Uh, I think that the issue, though, well, first of all, those of us who have more than 25,000 tracks, I'm looking at my library at 73,428 items. That's just the music. Now, And he listens to them consecutively. In about 10 yeah, years, he'll be done. It's 298 days of music if I were to leave it running all the time. To be fair, there's a bunch of spoken word stuff in there, so they can be very long for a single track. But anyway, the, there are two problems here. One is people who have a lot of music. Now, frankly, even if I had 25,000 tracks, I wouldn't care about having access to all of them all the time, you know, streaming or downloadable or whatever. I think that's a bit overkill. As it is, the reason I have so much music is in part I write reviews of classical music and I'm a big classical music fan and I've got a big collection of CDs and it's not music, most of it, that I listen to even once a year, obviously, given the amount that I have. The second thing, though, is how many of the tracks that I have will be in the iTunes store? I have a lot of classical music. I mean, my classical music is about two-thirds of my library. Some of it's from major labels, but a lot of it is from independent classical labels, many of which sell on the iTunes store, but many of which don't. There are other types of music I have that are definitely not on the iTunes store. A lot of live music, you know, concerts that I've downloaded. So it's going to be interesting for me to run the test, which will probably take a couple of days, I think, with this many tracks, because iTunes is going to presumably take a few seconds to analyze each track. Um, it'll be interesting for me to see how many of my, uh, how many tracks out of my library are actually available. Um, if there's three quarters of them, I would say that's pretty good. Um, some of them are actually out of print or aren't sold on the iTunes store anymore. Um, I, I bought the complete U2 set a few years ago, and that's not for sale anymore. Now, many of the U2 albums are, but a lot of them, the, the, the sort of, what, what, what would you call them? Um, the remixes and the, and the sort of B-side collections and stuff, these aren't available anymore. Well, it's so, one thing, too. If I have already got CDs of all the Beatles albums, maybe pre-remix versions. Right. Remastered I'll answer version. that in a moment here because we've got Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. We're talking about Apple and the cloud and your music and lots more. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Okay, so who is watching your home when you're not there? Help protect your home with a security system monitored by ADT. It's the leader in home security. Remember, ADT is the number one monitoring service in the country. It comes with world-famous ADT yard signs. The monitoring cost is just $1 a day. You probably pay more for coffee. This is the safety for your family and your possessions. You can save up to 20% on homeowner's insurance. Just call Protect Your Home, your authorized ADT dealer. Call now and get $850 of equipment and activation free. Call 1-866-778-3127. Call 1-866-778-3127. And here's our fast disclaimer. $99 installation charge, 36-month monitoring agreement at $35 to $39 per month. Call for terms and conditions and license numbers. 
Today, Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, July 8th, 2011. Gold opened this morning at 1527.70. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1566.41, 783.21 for a half ounce, or 391.60 for a quarter ounce. That's 1566.41, 783.21, and 391.60. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights have been reduced to old relics politicians ignore, trample with their outlandish, overreaching policies. Your support for the Campaign for Liberty stands in the way of the sincere process. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I have teamed up with the Campaign for Liberty to offer the authentic proof quarter ounce pure gold coin. For only $440 plus shipping, Midas will donate $100 to this incredible organization. Help fight big government by ordering your gold coin at 800-686-2237. You get to win twice by owning gold and fighting an overreaching government. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Will I have garlic breath after I take Ali C? We get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma. MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent. Boosts resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or garlichealthproducts.com. Fight back with Ali C. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800 880 Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night All Live, send it to News at TechNightOwl.com. That's News at TechNightOwl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at Forum.TechNightOwl.com. Get in on all the action. That's Forum.TechNightOwl.com. We continue with Kirk McElhern. The subject on the Tech Night Owl Live is music, Apple's iCloud about your music and the theory I was positing at the end of the last segment was, okay, in the 1980s, I bought the complete collection of Beatles CDs. I ripped them to iTunes. Now, 
I join iTunes Match. I assume then I get the latest, greatest remix digital version. Yeah, this, as we were saying, this is what we think is what's going to happen for music as it is, regardless of your bit rate or whatever. Now, is there actually, I mean, it's obvious that there's a difference between an initial version and a remix. And will iTunes pick up on that and say, well, you've only got a, a, a Beatles album from 1988 and you're not going to be able to get it because these are the new ones. It um, might only search by title of something that old. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not searching by tagging information. It's actually analyzing the data in the, in the file to make a digital fingerprint. Even if you tag things incorrectly, it's going to find them. And this is important because so many people do tag their music their own way. I have my own strategies for my classical music, which doesn't correspond at all to the way that the iTunes store does it. Yeah, well, the answer to that is that, as far as we're concerned, it's going to be very confusing until Apple answers the questions. And when they'll be answering the questions, I have no idea. Well, we'll know in the fall when they actually announce the availability of this. This is going to require the next version of iOS and the uh, uh, iTunes 10.5, uh, which are currently in beta awaiting, you know, Lion and then iOS 5 to come out. So I don't, did they give a date? Did they say September or did they say the fall? I think they just said the fall. The ephemeral fall. Yeah, so, so they're pretty vague about this. You know, bear in mind that early September is historically a moment when they do a special event and they present new iPods and they present a new version of iTunes. Now, there's nothing saying that they can't present this at that point and say it'll be available in a month. But I think we can expect that, again, in, in order to present new iPods, they're going to do it at the usual time. I don't think they're going to delay it, so we'll have a better idea. It's generally the first week in September. Right, so we'll have to see what the official announcement is then. And whether the policies will be changed, what's going to happen for people who have larger music libraries? What about extra storage space at iCloud, more than five gigabytes? Lots of questions, very few answers. Of course, Apple will probably not answer the question of music that you did not get from a legal source. I don't think they're going to answer it, but I think they're going to have to address it. And they're going to find a way to answer it without making it clear that it's an illegal source. I mean, I think they're going to say something that, you know, no matter where you got, uh, no matter how you ripped your music, you know, they're going to come up with something like that to say it's, it's cool is what they're going to say. It, but it's kind of weird because, again, if we do see this as a license to steal or an amnesty, um, given the way the music industry has always approached this whole thing. Does this mean that the music industry is leaning toward what, what, what's called a global license, which is something I find extremely odd. Basically, in a lot of European countries, there are movements to get a global license. They say, okay, if you pay 10 euros a month uh, to your ISP, um, this money gets funneled into rights organizations and you can download anything. It's buying a dispensation, a license to steal, and there's just something odd about that. If if the music industry gets together and says, we're putting all our catalog on a server, you can stream it all for $10 a month or something, I'll say that's fine. But the idea of a license to steal is just, you know, I don't know, bad taste in the mouth type thing. Well, the other question I have to ask you is, and this may be a general question of all, obviously there's a different music license for people who live in European Union countries compared to the United States, compared to other countries. Why not have a global license for oh, that, distribution that, that, of content 
yeah, no matter where you live. Why should that be a difference? Yeah. You know, you know there, there's a very simple reason for this, and, and it's actually, it's not, it's not a country-based thing. It's called a territory in distribution. Uh, a territory could, for, for books, for instance, a territory, I think England and Australia and New Zealand are a territory. In other words, they're three English-speaking countries. Um, I think you probably have other specific territories for music that are different. The, the problem is, uh, I think it's twofold. On the one hand, you've got distributors. So let's assume that it's a, a global record company or whatever, you know, EMI or Warner or whatever. So you've got your distributors in different countries, which are independent, and they have to have their own contract. So they've got a right to distribute music. Uh, CDs. You were talking pre-digital. Uh, the same as, you know, distributing books. The second thing is that you have rights organizations and different countries have different laws for rights. So if you get, I don't know, a global government, which would be maybe a good thing for stuff like this, you're going to have to come to an agreement with all the different rights organizations in the different countries uh, in order for people artists and labels and, 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 you know, all these people involved, you know, songwriters, to come to an agreement as to how these things are going to be paid. Because of these two problems, distribution and rights, I don't see this happening anytime soon. It would be better for a lot of people. It might even be better for the music industry. It's certainly a pre-digital concept. In other words, you know, these are designed on delivering physical product or playing things over a radio station. But yeah, it, it would make a lot more sense You'd have one problem, though. Musicians who are, say, in the EU and who are getting rights paid in, let's assume, in dollars because this is an international thing, would get a little bit upset when the value of the euro goes down and their rights, when they're converted from euros to dollars, end up being less than they were hoping. Um, so that's probably a third hurdle that would have to have some sort of a buffer built into the system. Now, we understand uh -oh. that different countries, different territories – have different agreements. It only makes, of course, the entire thing very, very complicated when it comes to getting rights. It means you have to get multiple contracts to be distributing music, even though once you put it online, in theory, it's available everywhere. It's like taking 19th century business practices and trying to convert it to the 21st century. These well, days, these are, these somehow are, they've got to make it global. Right, but these are 20th century business practices. You know, digital... Uh, access to music is relatively recent. It we really only started in the 21st century. Um, so, you know, to be fair, these companies haven't had a lot of time to deal with this. And it goes the same for ebooks. You can buy uh, Kindle books, for instance. So I'm in France, and if I want to buy a Kindle book from Amazon US, I can do so for certain books. And maybe 95% of the catalog, but there's a certain percentage of books that they can't sell from the U.S. to someone in, a, in another country because, let's say, there's a publisher who has the rights for all of Europe out of the U.K. Um, and this exists, believe me. This exists in a lot of areas. Um, all of this digital stuff is too new for these things to have been resolved. And uh, criticize the, the rights holders now. They haven't gone out of their way to try and resolve them quickly. <laughs> it would take years to figure it out. I mean, you can't even get people within one organization to agree sometimes. Trying to have global rights for anything is going to be impossible. Then again, the way the industry is going, they might not have a choice. We have Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic, and as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver, that's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. Utopiasilver.com, taking back America's health care one American at a time. Has the whole world gone mad? What's going on? How can they do that? Can Christians have demons? Why are politicians so detached? Need answers to these questions? This is Scott Henser for HardcoreChristianity.com, the nastiest Christian radio show and website in the country. When it comes to the biblical truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, about what's really going on in America and the rest of the world. Come join us each day as Michael W. Smith of the House of Healing in Phoenix reveals what the churches in America fail to tell you about the true spirit realm concerning demonic activity, mental illness, and even the basis of hardcore evil that is sweeping mankind. Visit HardcoreChristianity.com. Remember, you cannot negotiate with evil. You have to eradicate it. It's not too late. Live in or visiting the Phoenix area? Come join us twice a week for our healing and deliverance services or attend our free monthly seminars. Check website for service hours and schedules. HardcoreChristianity.com Spring and summer bring out the best of nature, but blooming flowers, grass, and weeds emit pollen everywhere. Spring cleaning, molds, funguses, and pollens can cause severe allergic reactions. It's time to fight back. Get a blast of nature's most powerful natural remedy with Oregano P73, the most powerful oil of oregano available anywhere. Oregano P73 is an extract of hand-picked wild oregano grown in mineral-rich soils found only in the mountains of the Mediterranean. Experience this powerful and effective spice you can't find anywhere else. It is so effective. Even the ancient Greeks used oregano for their health. And it's not just a mere spice. Oregano P73 is also available as gel caps and as a sea salt-based nasal spray. Use Oregano P73 and stay healthy all summer long. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. So from iCloud to global music rights, it gets to be very complicated. We have Kirk McAher, an author and commentator. And as he's pointing out, you know, ebooks, digital music, it's the same problem. You know, you can distribute it in one place, but not another unless you have the proper license to do so. And it gets very complicated. And of course, there are lots of questions about that and lots of questions also that the fact of the matter is that in this day and age, they're going to have to consider making a change. The music industry is suffering from a lot of problems. The publishing industry is suffering from problems. We'll have to see how it happens, how it shakes out. Accompanying all that, of course, is the distribution of Mac OS X Lion. And obviously, when you hear the show, it may or may not be available to you, so we're not going to discuss the product as available, only what's there, what's known. And one thing is known because it's pretty clear from a statement from the people at Quicken that the Rosetta Translation Technology, which Apple licensed from a company called Transitive, I believe, which allows you to run PowerPC apps on an Intel-based Mac, that's going to go away with Lion, I hear. I think Apple's made it clear that there won't be any PowerPC support. I don't think this is just a statement from uh, Intuit. Uh, I, I think it's not only clear because of the, the actual Rosetta uh, framework itself, but also the certain machines that aren't going to be, certain Macs that aren't going to be supported anymore. So, no, I think it's pretty clear that this is going to be finished, um, which means that there are a handful of applications that people use, like Apple Works won't run anymore. Can you imagine? I still, I got, I found it on my computer the other day. I didn't realize I still had it. Um, you know, there's going to be a bunch of things that don't work. And this is, I think it's a shame for people who depend on Quicken, and I think it's even worse for Intuit to not have updated the program. What um, they're supposedly trying to do, if I take this correctly, is to license Rosetta from Apple and embed it in Quicken or provide right, a hack. Yeah. But that's stupid because, you know, you have to look at it this way. I saw this up front and personal just the other day. I was setting up a friend's new iMac. Now, I want to tell you something about this iMac before we go on. Because I have a 2009 iMac, the first of the new generation with the core i5, i7 processors. He's got one of Apple's current iteration. The upgrade to a core i7 processor, he spent $600, which is insane, to Apple to get 16 gigabytes of RAM. He got two internal drives, a 250 gigabyte solid state drive and the one terabyte standard drive. You can do that in a standard configuration. Only, but only when you buy it. You can't install oh, the SSD. When you buy it. Now, there is another company, Otherworld Computing, that can do it after the market, after the sale, but you've got to send the computer to them. It's better to do it from Apple. Okay, right. but now the impact of this is incredible. On one side, he's got what used to be the fastest computer on the planet in 2004, Power Mac G5 Tower. On the other side, you've got the new iMac. In 10 seconds, it's booted. Yeah. Complete everything. But that's because oh, he has the SSD. That's right. It is amazing, the speed, the performance. Everything is faster on it. 
And if you look at the Macworld Speedmark test on this computer, you're going to see that for all practical purposes, it is as fast as a Mac Pro. It's also got two of the Thunderbolt ports, is the 27-inch iMac. So he can hook in external peripherals when they come out one of these days and get the performance of what you could hook into a Mac Pro. Of course, you have to wait for the peripherals to arrive. But we're talking about here workstation class performance. Of course, he paid a bundle for that. He bundled in software. He added Microsoft Office. He added iWork and a whole bunch of other stuff. He gave Apple close to $4,000, including tax, for this computer. Wow. As customized. But the performance is incredible. But get back to one thing here. He uses Word 2004. He asked me about Lion. And I showed him up front and personal what the problem was when you launch in Snow Leopard, a PowerPC app, the first time, it It says, do you want to install Rosetta? Right. So once that was done, I said, this is why you can't do it under Lion Apple has decreed this obsolete technology because it's five years old and it's not going to happen again for whatever reason. Therefore, that app, Word 2004, which he prefers to 2008 and 2011, is not going to run under Lion, and lots of other apps won't run under Lion for the very same reason. Yeah, um, it's certainly an application problem, but, you know, I think you just have to accept that if you want to upgrade your computer... And to make to make a, 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 as drastic an upgrade as he did from a G5 to to a current iMac, uh, you have to accept that a lot of your stuff is going to be obsolete. You have to accept that you can't put you know SCSI cables connected to it. That eventually you know FireWire is going to disappear and Thunderbolt's going to take over. If you don't want to do that, you don't upgrade. It's simple. Um, I, I want to comment on something you said: workstation grade computer. Probably when he bought that um, G5 tower, it was a workstation grade computer as well. It's always, you know, the, the current computer is always the fastest one ever, obviously. Um, it, it's, you know, it's commonplace to say that, but it's true. You, you know, you, you may not know, Gene, but I'm looking at a brand new 27-inch iMac in front of me. Um, I didn't spend extra for the i7 because the difference for what I do is minimal. I might have gone for the SSD, but they weren't available yet. Um, I did get a bigger internal drive so I can put all my music collection in it. Um, I swapped, swapped, I sold my Mac mini and my 27 inch monitor, um, the latter, which was only nine months old and I bought the new iMac and you know, I got to say, well, you're seeing the difference between the iMac and the G5. I'm putting the iMac up here. So it's the same monitor as I had before. Eh, it's not that much of a difference. It boots faster. Things go a little bit faster, but what do I do that needs fast? I mean, I rip CDs and stuff. That's probably the only time that I really use the processor. Um, hard disk isn't any faster. I got a lot of extra RAM. I got uh, an additional 8 gigs of RAM. cost me 100 euros because I didn't buy it from Apple. Um, so I'll be able to, you know, run Windows and Fusion or something like that. But honestly, there's not that much of a difference, even with my two-and-a-half-year-old Mac Mini. Well, <laughs> imagine if you got the SSD drive, though. Well, I've got a MacBook Air, so I know what the SSD is, and I've had a MacBook Air for three and a half years since the first SSD model. Um, so the difference when it boots, I mean, I know what it is. And see, if the SSD had been available when I ordered it, I would have gotten it. But what I'm hoping is that once the Thunderbolt stuff comes out, you'll be able to plug an SSD into the Thunderbolt connector, and it'll be almost as fast as internal. Well, 
There you go. There you go. There you go. Okay, so we're also going to see probably a Mac Mini ultimately with an SSD. I'm almost sure of it. You know, it's, it's a tough call because a, a lot of people who buy Mac Minis buy them because of the price. An awful lot of people use them as media centers or small servers. So an SSD is an option, yes, but I don't think it would be an SSD only like the MacBook Air is. Well, we're going to have to see really how that thing stretches. Of course, it would make a pretty expensive Mac Mini because the solid-state drive would core cost more than the Mac Mini. It would cost, uh, well, the, the Mac Mini is currently what? Um, 700 bucks. You get an SSD for a few hundred. I don't know what Apple's price is um, on the iMac for the additional SSD. What I can see, though, is a mini Mac Mini with an SSD, so even smaller. That might be interesting. To have a smaller model with an SSD and the current size model with a regular disk. I don't know if they'd really save that much space. I mean, the, 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 the hard drive in a Mac Mini, is it's a portable, it's a two-and-a-half-inch drive, so it doesn't take up a lot of space. Um, but when you look at a MacBook Air and you see how little space is used for everything, and that includes the battery, um, you think that there's got to be a way to make something a little bit smaller than the current Mac Mini and still have a full computer. A reminder, if you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please write us, news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Once again, we will read each and every message we get. Guaranteed, we'll try to answer most of them. We're talking to Kirk McElhern. He's an author and a commentator. We focus first on digital music, iCloud, about the iMac and the prospects. We've got a lot more coming. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. DevonThink is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devon Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off, all there at devontechnologies.com. That's devontechnologies.com. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop. Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA. But Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, 
Fusion fit standard mason jars and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits. Magnesium fire starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches. First aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. Extend your life with Extendovite. My name's John, and I've been having problems with my blood pressure for years. My doctors tried everything without much success. I heard about Extendivite from a friend and thought, why not give it a try? It's been three months now, and my doctor's very pleased with how my blood pressure is finally coming down. I have a lot more energy than I've had in a long time. It's working for me. For 12 years now, I've been helping people. My name is Don Wiskin, and I want you to know Extendivite works. If you're looking for more energy or just want to be as healthy as you can, now is the time to join the growing list of real people benefiting from Extendivite. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendovite. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. You know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We're back with Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. And the subject on the table now, of course, is Apple's new computers. But it gets to also the point that my friend gets this iMac, which is for all practical purposes to him as good or better than a Mac Pro. Certainly a lot less expensive, even though he loaded everything on it. So the Mac Pro is going to become one of those endangered species, maybe. Yeah, it speaks, it's been becoming an endangered species for a while, since I'd say about two years ago when the iMacs got relatively fast. The only people who really need them are people who need multiple hard disks. You probably remember I had one back in 2006, was it? That I got one? Yeah, I got one in 2006, the first one. Filled it up with four hard disks, a whole bunch of RAM. Must have had, I don't know, wow, six gigs of RAM or something like that, which was a lot at the time. Again, as my iMac is overkill for what I do, uh, the Mac Pro was overkill. I just wanted to have a fast Mac for the first time uh, when I got it. And I found that it was kind of noisy because I had four drives in it. Um, It was relatively hot because it's just hot 
by nature and four drives makes it harder. It takes up a lot of space. And, you know, when you look at, I mean, as, as I explained earlier, I sold my 27-inch display and Mac Mini for an iMac. The iMac itself takes up very little space. I mean, compared to the display, it's, I don't know, it's a couple inches taller, an inch or so deeper. There's really not that much of a difference with the display. Um, a Mac Pro is a huge thing that sits under your desk or, you know, next to your desk. It's good if you need, like, ultra-fast networking via a PCI card. Um, it's good if you need 10,000 RPM hard drives in it, you know, multiple RAID setups and lots of RAM and things like that. Um, other than that, no one needs a Mac Pro anymore. No one. Well, the issue still is we don't have the peripherals yet for Thunderbolt to compensate. People use, of course, RAID drives. They're just starting to come online. They use extra graphics cards yeah. for extra displays. You can use up to three displays on the iMac, the internal plus two externals. That covers part of that. So right. it's a matter of time. So ultimately, that's going to be the case. But Apple is probably not going to discontinue the Mac Pro because it's a prestige computer until such time as nobody wants to buy them anymore. Very few. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's a prestige computer, but it does make you think that the reason they haven't refreshed the design of the Mac Pro since since it was what a G four because it's the same design, right? It was a G five. G five. External design was the same, basically, with that cheese greater kind of yeah. interface because is, of the cooling. Is, the reason that was done, of course, with the G5 is because it ran hotter than an oven. Right. And they needed, ultimately, lots of cooling fans, like five, six cooling fans, etc., to keep it down. Some of them even had water cooling systems, which have begun to leak, by the way. I don't oh. know if you've heard this. You know, on some of the older Power Mac yeah. G5s with liquid cooling, I'm glad I got rid of mine. Yeah. Okay. But, but so then, of course, when Apple went to the Mac Pro... They totally rejiggered the innards. Right, but not the outers. No, the outers were the same except for a different port configuration, a few different right. ports. The innards. But, outers, but is that a word, years. outers? Outers. It's, it's been seven years that they haven't changed it, and, and it makes you almost think that they haven't changed it because they're going to discontinue it, and they don't want to spend the money to develop a new case. Um, now, I can't see them totally discontinuing it because, you know, you can get a 12-core Mac Pro, and there are some limited uses where you need something that fast. So this may hang on in, in the current design for, you know, a number of years. Like many of my colleagues, we have lamented the fact that there's no mid-size Mac, something between the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro that could, say, hold two hard drives and an extra PCI card or something. Let's get into that argument, actually. There was an article that Dan Frakes at Macworld wrote about the mythical mini Mac mini tower. And around the same time, talk about synchronicity or great insane minds thinking alike, around the same time, I wrote an article about a headless iMac. I envisioned the guts of the iMac in a smaller case, compact case, space for two hard drives, and it would be of limited expansion. It's kind of, if you go back to the early Mac lineups, in the early Mac lineups, you had... The, the LCs. The, you had the LCs, but even more to the point, a 2CI, and then you had like a Power Mac 950, to give you an example of a really big Tower yeah. Kai Mac, or like the original Mac 2. You had a right. very big expandable Mac, and you had a mid-range Mac with most of the power but less expansion. Apple opted not to do that. They ignored us. 
So they consider the iMac to be the product. Well, to be fair, I think one of the great advantages to the iMac is the quality of the displays. When you compare Apple displays to even, you know, expensive displays from other vendors, Apple wins, hands down. I bought a Dell 24-inch three years ago, and it's just not the same. It was never the same. I could never get it calibrated to the right colors. Um, the pixels were always a little fuzzy. It just wasn't as good. And, I mean, I still have it. It's a sort of emergency display sitting around, but it was an expensive one. It was one of the ones that was about five or $600. It wasn't a cheap one. Um, the iMac display today is extremely good. It is the same display that's in the, what is it, $1,200 um, display that they sell on its own. Well, it's not $1,200 anymore. I'm looking on the website here trying to find it because it's hard to find also. They don't want to sell too many of them. Very well, they only sell it to people who have Mac Pros. Uh, it's, okay, it's 1000 now. But it's the same display in the current iMac. Um, so the quality of the display in the iMac is excellent. The, the sort of the way that they've put it all together works very well. What bothers me most is that you've got to, you, you can't reuse the display. I mean, a display is going to last longer than a computer because it's not going to be outdated as quickly in terms of processor. And that's one reason I went for the Mac Mini with an external display, because I was thinking, okay, you update a computer, it's cheaper than updating the computer with the display. And Apple's made these things a little bit more disposable now. Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to throw it away when I get you know, to a certain time. I'll sell it used and buy a new one. And at least whoever buys it is going to get something with a good display. Um, but I kind of you know, always hesitate um, about the idea of not having a separate display. Because also, if you have a problem with the display, you can just hook up another one. Um, if you have a problem here, your computer's dead. Well, no. You can no, no, you can use an external display if you have right. to. Yeah, and, unless it's the whole video processing thing that's, that goes dead. Well, Apple but helps yeah, you buy a new one. Then. Apple helps you buy Apple Care, And after three years, if it costs more to fix it than it's worth, you'll buy a new computer. It's disposable. But I do. I, I, you know, I buy Apple Care for two reasons. Um, one, I live in the middle of nowhere. That's the town's name, the middle of nowhere. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> and it's about a three-hour drive um, to a Mac service center. And while I haven't needed any repairs in several years, the first couple of years we were here, about 10 years ago, we had those colored iMacs, you know, the fruit-flavored ones. And I had three visits from repair people, um, once to replace a CD drive and two others, I don't remember, video cards or something like that, who, who drove three hours each way to come and fix it. The second reason is that when you buy Apple Care and you want to sell a computer after a couple of years, generally I sell between two and two and a half years, um, you're selling the computer with a guarantee. And people are going to be much more likely to buy it in that case. Well, the other thing, of course, to point out here is that Apple has kind of a middling reputation for reliability in some of its models. I'll give you an example. My son has a 2008 MacBook, the black MacBook, the most expensive one. Everything, and I mean everything, has been replaced on it. As of last November, he had a logic board or a hard drive replacement. He has a cloud-based backup, so it was okay. So his warranty with AppleCare expired this spring. Within a few weeks, Yeah, the LCD breaks. I mean, it's starting to show nothing but weird images, discolored images. On the bottom half, the top half looks good. 
He takes mm-hmm. it to the authorized Apple dealer. He lives in Madrid, Spain, but too far from the Apple store, he goes to a third-party dealer. And he says, what do I do about that? Well, they say, you're out of warranty. It's going to cost you close to $600, yeah. comparing, of course, euros to American dollars. Understand right. that a brand-new MacBook is $999 U.S. Right. And a memory upgrade, it's 1099 Okay, so almost roughly more than half the price of the computer with a display. So this isn't right. It's just out of warranty. So what did I do? I called Apple and asked to speak to somebody in the executive office who handles customer support. I was asking for an escalation because customer right. support channels aren't going to have a way of figuring this out. And I wanted them to look at the service history. I said, you know, do what you got to do, but look at the service history. And one yeah. more thing, I didn't pull rank when I called them. I didn't say, hi, I'm Gene Steinberg, the host of the Tech Night Out Live or former writer with this, that, and the other thing. I didn't right. do that. We have Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. I'm Gene Steinberg, and we'll answer what happened with Apple on the other side of the Tech Night Out Live. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the People grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Kirk McElhern in the second hour of the Tech Night All Live with Gene Steinberg. He's an author and commentator. So, to refresh your memory from the last segment, what I said was, Grayson's MacBook develops a bad LCD within weeks after AppleCare expires. They want more than half the price of a new model to replace it LCD. That's understandable. That's what the price of admission is. Basically, when you get that, you might as well buy a new computer. But so close to being out of warranty, everything, the hard drive, the logic board, couple of keyboards, batteries, everything's been replaced on it except for the LCD. So I called Apple, and I asked to speak to someone in their executive customer relations division. I mean, you have to call their main number or ask for an escalation on the parts customer service to get this to happen. It doesn't require a secret handshake. It doesn't require saying, I'm a journalist. It doesn't require saying, I'm a book writer. It simply requires asking for escalation. And they look at the service history. So the woman who I talked to spent about a minute looking at the service history. She said, by heavens, in so many words, you had a major repair last November. This is really bad. I'm sorry yeah. about that. No problem. We'll fix it at no okay. cost to your son. Yeah. 
No, they're, they're pretty good about that sort of stuff. Um, I, I'm just going to quickly go through my experience in recent years. And again, I buy Apple Care for every computer. And when I got the new iMac, I called to register the, the, the Apple Care. So when I called to register the Apple Care for my new iMac, I got someone on the phone who looked at the list of my Macs that are registered. And the person said, wow, you have a lot of Macs. And I said, well, actually not because some of them I've sold and things like that. Um, but it, as I said earlier, the first couple of years – so we're about 10, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when we moved to where we are, we had those fruit uh, iMacs. We had a lot of problems with them. And those were really the first ones, if you recall, that were using PC components. Um, but currently, I've got a 27-inch iMac. My wife has a 21-inch, which is, I think, three years old. Um, we have an old 17-inch of white, one of the first Intel Macs um, that's just sitting around. I've got a recent MacBook Air. I had a MacBook Air before that three years ago. And my son has a MacBook Pro that's two years old. We haven't had a single problem on any of these except for a battery problem on my son's MacBook Pro, which isn't even clear whether it's the battery or the software reading the voltage and saying that the battery is not good. That's not unusual. That's been common on various iterations of MacBook Pros. But, but Apple did say that they will replace the battery. Um, given that, you know, the problem, it could be a problem. And I think they look at the list of computers, you know, that I have under Apple Care, and they say, good customer, we'll do it. Um, but so basically, I'm talking about over the past five or six years, and I'm not even counting the ones I've sold, I haven't had a single problem where I've needed Apple Care. Um, now, if I go back to when I had some white iBooks, um, when I had the Fruit iMacs, uh, I had one white iBook that went for repairs three or four times. Um, so there was a period when all was around the time we got to Intel Max. That's when I stopped having problems. Um, I'm still going to pay for Apple Care. It's not that expensive, and you know it really guarantees me not having to drive very far or send something expensively to a, to a service center. Um, and it also sort of guarantees um, a different type of. Um, support from Apple when you call them. And I think when they see that you've got a number of machines that you bought Apple Care for, they're more likely to give you better support or to be more flexible. Well, the other issue, of course, here is that with the Intel-based Macs, there's more industry standard components in there. They're built in the same factories as regular PCs. Apple's different mostly in the case designs and sometimes a few custom support chips. A lot of generic stuff is going on in there, and that's stuff they know how to build. I think the most unreliable of all, other than occasional battery issues, is the hard drive, which maybe the solid-state drive and the arrival of solid-state drives will replace that and change that. Yeah, but see, when they started using what you call industry standard components, those were the fruit iMacs that I had a lot of problems with. These were the first ones that were using IDE drives instead of internal SCSI. Um, These were the first ones that were using whatever the CD drive was, I guess, IDE as well instead of of SCSI, you know. Granted, but remember the iMac in that event was like the modern day equivalent of the LC, a cheap entry level computer. Today's iMac is a different breed. No, I disagree. It wasn't that cheap. In fact, I remember I bought the gray one that was the iMac DV Special Edition. It cost, I mean, it wasn't the Pro Mac, but there was no entry-level Mac at the time. It was, no, no, it was a mid-priced Mac. It, you, didn't have, you didn't have a cheaper model. 
but it was basically a, it was basically a converted notebook. If you look at the parts, a lot of the parts were basically notebook grade parts put into a desktop machine. Yeah, but once they went to Intel, um, I haven't had problems. Even though it was before that that they were using these quote unquote industry standard you know components. I mean, my my iBook G four and G three and G four had three iBooks. The so one was a uh, one with a handle and then two white ones. Um, the two white ones had a lot of problems. Those were probably standard components at the time. Interesting about but, the iBook. I had an iBook that I got for review from Apple. I took it to a Macworld Expo convention. When I arrived there, this is the review unit, by the way. When I arrived there, the hard drive failed. On the spot, clicking, <laughs> clacking, forget about it. Finally, my publisher, I was working for CNET at the time. This is maybe 2000, 2001. Finally, they gave me a Windows notebook that I could use for writing and everything else. Yeah. So the unkindest cut of all, I went to a Macworld Expo with a Mac. The Mac I had to, write on a I had to use computer. a Windows PC notebook. Embarrassing. <laughs> well, you know, things break, and it's part of the, the game. And, and again, I don't really mind having that peace of mind paying for Apple Care. Um, I think where you are, you're kind of forced well, into it. I true. think with a notebook, if, I would always do it. With a desktop computer, I'll take my chances. If I were in a city with an Apple store or a repair center nearby, that would be different. Um, I would think twice. But, you know, again, it's a professional expense, so I'd rather just have the peace of mind. Um, you know, if it saves me a day's work, if something happens and I can get one more day's work um, because of the cost of the Apple Care, I've made the cost of the Apple Care. It's that simple. No, I understand that. I think the philosophy here is to look at where most repairs might happen and how easy is it for you to get repairs. Now, I had another instance here, too, where I got a Panasonic high-definition TV. About six weeks out of warranty, one-year warranty on parts, and I think two years on the panel. Six weeks out of warranty, the power supply fails. Now, I fought with Panasonic on this. Yeah. They reimbursed me all but maybe 100 or 150 of the cost of the power supply, which was over $500. They were reasonable about it. I don't think they were reasonable enough, but they were reasonable. Yeah. Well, I, my TV, I bought a five-year um, support contract, and the company I bought it from um, will give me a new TV if my TV breaks during that period. They won't even repair it. So that, to me, seems to be a fair deal. Mm. Sure. Again, we're far, so it makes a lot more sense. Um, you know, we actually have a store in our town that sells TVs and stuff. Not a, they don't have a big selection, but they're part of a small chain. Um, but they're maybe 20% more expensive than Amazon or other online places. Um, so as much as I like to buy local, you know, there are limits to those things. Um, I think TVs and computers are, are the things where I'll buy contracts. Um, I've never done it for any sort of kitchen appliance. Um, when, we, when we bought a new car a couple years ago, about two and a half years ago, we bought a new Volvo. Um, I asked the salesman about an extended warranty. He said, don't bother. It's not worth it. How many miles on the standard warranty there? Um, it's three years, I think, on the standard warranty. So it's like three years, 36,000, kind of the standard entry-level warranty for cars. Right. And, and here's more, by the way. Volvo, five years. Volvo in America 
it's something like four years or 60,000 miles. They give you free maintenance. They add stuff, but I bet you pay a whole lot more for the car. Yeah, it, uh, you certainly do. But but here the salesman said, don't bother buying it. You won't need it. So I, you know, and, and this he's was, a rare salesman, by the way, because most car salesmen will say they'll say anything to get you to buy it. Usually the finance guy will do it. You know, you go to sign the papers on your new car here in America and the finance guy gives you a whole list of things, a laundry list of things that he sells because he makes most of his commission on that. We have Kirk McElhern, who does not earn a commission, nor do I. I'm Gene Steinberg. This is the Tech Night Out Live. Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com. Devin Think is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devin Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off all there at devintechnologies.com. That's devintechnologies.com. When making important financial decisions, you should always know the facts. That's why Midas Resources is willing to pay you to read the facts. Midas Resources, a team of hand-picked financial specialists with decades of financial experience who are ready to provide you with state-of-the-art, up-to-date financial services. Midas Resources offers a host of services and stands behind their products. In fact, if you call and order their free Midas report, Midas Resources will pay you. This detailed report will provide you with financial history on the safest and most profitable areas to invest in. If you read the report, Midas Resources will send you a free Walking Liberty Silver Half Dollar. So what are you waiting for? Get the facts and call Midas Resources toll-free at 888-292-2709. That's 888-292-2709. And remember, if you read the Midas report, you'll receive a free Walking Liberty Silver Half Dollar. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today.
Is your church, school, or organization desperately looking for new fundraising ideas? Tired of the same old candles or candy, taking orders, inventory, and low profits? Well, here's great news. 10X Fundraising guarantees 10 times traditional profits with zero hassle. For an amazing free bonus, free shipping, and an extra 10% off, enter GCN when you go to 10xfundraising.com. That's the number 10, the letter X, fundraising.com. Or call 800-480-8797. Visit 10X Fundraising for 10 times the profit today. Will you survive during the economic collapse or another deadly natural disaster? Your key to survival lies here at hardshoot.com. A former member of U.S. Special Operations knows what you'll need to survive in these hard times. Our online store arms you with extreme survival kits, self-heating food reserves, and more. For a limited time with any purchase, you'll also receive a three-day survival kit absolutely free. Prepare now. The online store, www.hardshoot.com. www.hardshoot.com. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio that's technightall.com slash radio or check us out at iTunes Hey, we're talking to Kirk McElhern, author and commentator moving a field from Macs and Apple to products, product warranties and about the fact that the person who sold him his Volvo a couple of years ago said don't get the extended warranty he was one of the few honest salespeople on the planet, right? To, to be fair, this was when the automobile industry was in free fall. So he wanted to do everything he could to sell that car. Let me give you kind of the way it works, because my brother-in-law used to work for a car dealer here in America. And the way it works is they give you all sorts of deals. The salesman gets you a deal. The sales manager approves it. But then you go to the finance guy because it's two steps. It's one, you're actually placing your order. Number two, you're signing your note for a loan or a lease unless you hand them a check. At that yeah, point, yeah. it's a second sales visit because the finance manager is a salesperson too. He receives a commission based on what he sells. Yeah. So he'll say, okay, get the extended warranty. If you have a long-term loan, he'll offer you something called gap insurance, which means they'll make up the difference if your car is wrecked. They'll pay what your insurance company doesn't pay, but that's also bogus because a lot of insurance companies the first year or two will pay the entire replacement cost of the car. Yeah. So that's bogus. So they well, add this, they add the service the, contract. Here, here it was they, the same person selling the car, signing the papers, doing everything. Okay. Um, and sometimes small you know, dealerships, it's like that too. Yeah. And, and on top of it, just to you know, give you the whole reason, um, they were doing 0% financing. So you have um, to have a 12,000 credit score for that. We don't have credit scores here. So how do they judge your credit? You show them your, well, if you're, if you're a salaried employee, a regular employee, you show them a couple of pay stubs. And otherwise, in my case, I'm a freelancer. So you just show them a tax form and show how much you've made in the previous year. There's, the credit, there's no credit score. There's no kind of credit check. It doesn't exist here. That's fascinating. It is. And, and I think so how do you know about bad credit then? How do you deal you with people who don't pay their bills? You don't. Um, it's not very easy. One thing is if you have a problem with a bank, you get, you get actually listed at the, the equivalent of the Federal Reserve Bank that lists you in a, in a database so you can't open an account without being flagged. 
Um, but this is only for a bank account. But of course, people here don't have dozens of credit cards like in the U.S. Um, they don't do a lot of revolving credit. You know, credit here is far less used than it is in the U.S. It's starting. Um, you know, people are starting to get used to it because uh, the banks are trying to promote credit cards. Um, we have a debit card. We don't even have a credit card. Um, credit cards aren't that common here. Maybe you're better off. I think we are. Um, you know, when you realize, like you say, credit score and, and the, everything that goes with that, um, the fact that you can't change it, you have to get access to it, and it's a real hassle if there's a mistake and all that. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of problems and there's a lot of issues that I think are easier if you just avoid. Personally, I haven't – the only thing I've ever bought on credit was this car and a previous car. Um, I mean, I had credit cards when I lived in the States, obviously, because, you know, I was an American then. Um, but I've never bought anything on credit. We rent our house, so we don't have a mortgage. And I've never bought anything on credit other than that. Basically, I buy what I can afford. But for the car, our car was like 13 years old, um, 0% financing. I mean, you can't beat that. And they financed like 80% of it or something. Well, it's a good deal. I'm, it's interesting how different things are in different parts of the world. But I want to hit one more thing about cars and computers before we go. And this is something I've dealt with over at thetechnightowl.com in recent weeks, talking about the user interfaces of car electronics. And, you know, maybe something in your car you can talk about. But, for example, I spent a few weeks test driving cars to look at the user interfaces. And you got to compare what's going on here. Apple had worked out a deal with Volkswagen to possibly have a user interface that's inspired by Apple. Ford has a deal with Microsoft for MyTouch, and they're criticized because of slow response to touch screens and all sorts of software bugs. Really got dinged. What kind of interface do you have on your Volvo? Well, we don't have an interface. I mean, you don't have I mean, any computerized or LCD? No, we didn't, we didn't go for that. that was the, it was part of a package with like the GPS and all that we didn't need, and it was like, 3,000 euros more or something like that. I mean, you know, 10% of the cost of the car, so we didn't get it. Um, we've just got a simple, you know, touch display where the radio is. There's like a menu that comes up, so it's just basic text. And, you know, you push the little buttons down below it, so we don't have a, a touch screen display in the car. When, when they come standard and when we buy a new car, I would get one. But, uh, you know, we have these things here called maps. They're on paper. They don't use batteries. And it's pretty easy to find your way around when you're looking on them. Um, you know, paying 3,000 euros for something that's going to tell you um, to get off at the next exit just doesn't seem to me to be very, you know, useful. Well, I actually tried on one car a navigation system to go to someone's house. The guy gave me kind of an extended test drive. So I said, okay, I'll go to somebody's house. Let me try the navigation system. The problem with the navigation system is it couldn't figure out that the guy had a gated entrance. It kept yeah. taking me to the wrong place. Yeah. See, I, you know, I've actually never used one of these things. Um, I don't know anyone who has a car here who has them. Um, they're not very common. You don't really, you, you know, it's not that the roads are necessarily better or whatever. I think it's just Americans are obsessed with technology, so they've been sold these things, and they're willing to pay more for them. Well, that's but a I, big deal, too. You see, in this country, we're now pushing, because of fuel economy standards, smaller cars. But people yeah. with smaller cars, the dealers don't make as much money from them. So they, what they do now with the manufacturer's help is they add the leather seats, the navigation systems, the Bluetooth, the fancy radios, the sunroofs, 
everything to increase the price of the car four, five, six thousand dollars. Suddenly they make a profit. That's why they're doing it. Yeah, I, I think again it's just a sort of addiction to um, technology as such. Again, you know, it, it costs me a few euros to buy a map. I've for twenty five years I've driven around France and Europe with maps. And I've really never had a problem. I've never gotten lost. I mean, okay, you don't have a, a map for an actual city, um, you know, to inside a city. And if you need one, like we go to Paris, you can buy a map book for Paris if you need it. Um, but any place that we've ever traveled, you know, things are marked. The roads, are, roads are marked a little bit better here than in, in the U.S. generally. Um, exits are marked and, and things like that. But it's, you know, it's just never seemed to me to be useful to want anything like that. Even a standalone GPS device, um, I don't see what the point is, given, you know, if you're a professional, you're a salesperson, you do a lot of driving, you need to find places, saves you time, time is money, you know. Also, I guess the theory of distracted driving, and we haven't got much time left, where if you're looking at maps, you know, and you shouldn't be, if you're driving, if someone gets into an accident, oh, for heaven's sake, I was looking at the map. And I didn't realize I was running into that tree or I was in the wrong lane, and now my car is totaled. So I don't want to get into that because it gets to be... You pull over and you look at the map. The same thing you do when you need to make a phone call. You pull over, you make the call. It's called Common Sense. Where do we find more of the things that Kirk McElhern writes about? Um, On my website, Kirkville, which is www.mcelhern.com, M-C-E-L-H-E-A-R-N. On Macworld, often, and... Um, check out my latest book, Take Control of Scribner 2. If you're a writer and you want the best tool to organize your writing projects, um, designed for creative writers in particular, check out um, Take Control of Scribner 2. You can find info on my website. Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you, Gene. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to 
benefit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver. UtopiaSilver.com or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. UtopiaSilver.com. Taking back America's health care one American at a time. Has the whole world gone mad? What's going on? How can they do that? Can Christians have demons? Why are politicians so detached? Need answers to these questions? This is Scott Answer for HardcoreChristianity.com, the nastiest Christian radio show and website in the country. When it comes to the biblical truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, about what's really going on in America and the rest of the world. Come join us each day as Michael W. Smith of the House of Healing in Phoenix reveals what the churches in America fail to tell you about the true spirit realm concerning demonic activity, mental illness, and even the basis of hardcore evil that is sweeping mankind. Visit HardcoreChristianity.com. Remember, you cannot negotiate with evil. You have to eradicate it. It's not too late. Live in or visiting the Phoenix area? Come join us twice a week for our healing and deliverance services or attend our free monthly seminars. Check website for service hours and schedules. HardcoreChristianity.com The number one secret to having great health and long life is having high levels of glutathione. This master antioxidant is required by your body to stop free radicals, keep cells young, remove chemical and heavy metal toxins, support immunity, support liver functions, stop inflammation, and much more. The results of optimal levels of glutathione in your body are more mental and physical energy, stronger immune system, greater endurance, and more. Do you know the number one secret superfood that helps increase your glutathione levels by 64% or more? It's unheated whey protein powder from grass-fed cows. This health food is amazing in its ability to do so much for virtually everyone. Introducing One World Whey, an industry-first unheated whey protein powder from grass-fed cows. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. And before we were starting this interview, Avram and I were kind of going over the topics he was going to discuss. And I raised the issue, and we kind of raised this in response to the arrival of Google+. And I said, well, is that their final solution? And I started speaking in a horrible German accent that I will not repeat here because we do have loyal listeners in Germany who will be insulted by my horrible attempts to imitate anything. I try to imitate a human being. It's very difficult. Avram, Google+, Plus, is that something that is a real threat or answer to Facebook? Um, I think it is a threat to Facebook, absolutely, just because it comes from Google and it offers a lot of similar functionality. Uh, I mean, it, it's really hard to say. I've been you know, using Google+, Plus for maybe a day now since... I, I'm one of the few people who got an exclusive, well, not an exclusive invite, but I managed to get in while the getting was good. 
Um, I don't and, like that phrase. Get while the getting's good. We're in trouble now. Yeah, well, I had to, you know, it, it's it's sort of like an exclusive club. Every couple of hours, you'll see someone tweet on Twitter, "Run, run over to Google Plus now. You can get in and and, and cash in your invite." So I, I saw a tweet last night from someone who I follow, and I I ran over and I got it, and I feel like I just got the new iPad when they're all sold out or something. You know what's worse about that? I understand there are bogus invites to Google Plus. Are there scalpers? <sighs> who knows. I, I'm going to go – here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand in front of like a store where I know people are in, into Google, like maybe like the Verizon store or maybe just maybe in front of the Apple store just to be contradictory. And I'm going to say, uh, is anyone selling invites? Is anyone selling invites? I'm going to be – I once saw someone out. in front of a convenience store here in Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona area. And they were trying to sell a Microsoft Zoom. This was three or four years ago. And nobody would take them up on it. They kept lowering the price, and people look at them and stared. <laughs> well, I would think that uh, uh, the person who was selling the Zoom, they must have been pretty, uh, pretty desperate indeed. Because uh, I, I, I don't know what you, could, you know what you could get for that. I it's think it was a question of, what could I pay you to take it? Sort of like a recycling fee. Um, <laughs> is it recyclable? I know Apple has a lot of stuff that you can recycle. I didn't know whether Microsoft did or not. All right, Google Plus. You can only see this if you get the invite, if you have the secret handshake, if you have the Vulcan death grip. What? Well, you know, they're going to open it up soon. But uh, initially, you, you know, you got to head on over to the Google Plus site um, and you may or may not be able to to get in. And once you're in, you can theoretically invite people, but those invites don't always help you either. Once you're in, you're in. And then uh, once you're in Google+, uh, when you're logged into Google, whether it's your Gmail or, or some other Google tool that you're using in your web browser, you will see uh, the Google's black navigation bar uh, across the top of your screen, and it will... Uh, on the right side of the screen, you'll actually see like your name and profile picture, and you'll see a little notifications square that will show you if you have any notifications. It's conspicuously uh, like the notification squares that you get in Facebook. And on the left side of the bar, uh, there's like a little plus and your name uh, link. So instead of saying Google Plus, mine says Plus Avram. And I'll click on it, and I'll get a a page which has a feed of everyone that I'm friends with and their updates, just like Facebook. Uh, I can go in and look at photos, photo albums, or post them, just like Facebook. I have a profile that people can see, uh, and you can set it so it's viewable by everyone on the Internet. Just like Facebook? Just like Facebook. Does this sound like something we could do with a group? Have you know like ten people do just like Facebook with different tenors and bases and stuff? Yeah, I think you could. Like the so, what is not like Facebook in this uh, in Google Plus? Well, you have the Hangouts thing where you can actually go and do group video chat in your browser, and that's pretty cool. I haven't really uh, gotten to do that to do that just yet uh, because I haven't 
had any of my friends around to test to test it with since I got my exclusive invitation. But I'll probably be trying that later today. So it's really exclusive. There are four people on the entire service, three of which are executives at Google. Exactly. But you know, the interesting thing is, listen, if you listen to for your listeners. This is from you, New York. You only say this if you're from New York like I am. Hey, listen. So what you want is to actually be on now because theoretically you can friend some of the VIP uh, people on the internet who managed to get in. Um, a friend of mine was telling me that she's one of the few people who's friends with uh, the famous comic book artist uh, Neil Gaiman on, on Google Plus because there aren't enough people around to be fans of him on Google Plus yet. So this might be your chance to talk to your favorite you know, celebrity, if they manage to get into Google Plus and they care, you know. All right. You're going to send me this invitation, right? Uh, yep, absolutely. I need your Google, uh, your Gmail address. Uh, but anyway. I, let me say this. It is not much different from my Skype address. I won't say more. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, what What's unique besides the Hangouts is that uh, you have this feature called Circles, where you can put, you know, kind of create groups of your friends and then they look like when you drag your friends onto this sort of disc-shaped uh, circle, it, it almost looks like a rotary phone, like a picture of a rotary phone that you're dragging them onto. And then you can kind of see see your different groups of friends and give them different sort of permissions and information. Although, frankly, you can group friends in, in Facebook. So... Maybe the look of it is different, but I'm having a hard time figuring out how this is really fundamentally, uh, functionally different from from Facebook. Maybe a little bit easier to to drag to drag people around and create the groups. So basically, here what this is is Facebook is the iPhone, and maybe Google Plus is Android. Yeah, I think that's that's a good analogy of Facebook Facebook being like the iPhone. I, I will say this too. Uh, initially, my reaction to Google Plus uh, is it doesn't look as good as Facebook. There's something about the kind of the fonts and the layout, uh, and maybe this is very superficial of me to say, but it just doesn't look as polished as the interface on Facebook. I know what happened when you said fonts. They thought you were saying fonts from the old <laughs> TV show Happy Days. <laughs> well, if it was like the, if they had a better fonts than Google, that would be even better. So, at the same time that Google has come out with this Google Plus, um, you see that Facebook has stepped up its game as well uh, this week, and they've announced two really hot new features. Uh, one of which is built-in video chat, which which looks like it's going to be awesome. Uh, because it's based on an existing standard, which is Skype, uh, and they've added group chat, uh, which before you on Facebook you could only chat with one person at a time, um, but now you can actually chat with multiple people in the same uh, chat window. So it looks like you know both of the companies are kind of upping their ante. Um, I think it's I think Google Plus. I would I would recommend that people give it a shot. I think it's also just really interesting to be one of the people who gets in on the ground floor of a social network because that means you can say you were into it way before it was cool. Can we say that about something that everyone is trying to get an invite to? I'm not sure. Cool is what? 
1970s or something like that? Cool never goes out of style. It's always cool. It's always cool. So the question, ladies and gentlemen, is Google Plus cool? Is it an also-ran? Remember, Google doesn't necessarily succeed in everything they do. And we already have a market leader. We know that MySpace, you know, was sold for a song. And speaking of being sold for a song, one of the people who bought MySpace is Justin Timberlake. So that's an irony to mention. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. You know that drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com 235 years ago, our forefathers signed the Declaration of Independence to escape tyranny and oppression. Today, there is a need to reinforce that declaration. What can we do to protect our health as a nation and in our homes from those who wish to control the quality of our air and water? To find out, you need to visit airandaqua.com right now or call 612-767-2777. You will receive a free copy of our Constitution, a newsletter, and bonus items. Air and Aqua.com. Purify your life today. Extend your life with Extend Hi, my name's Russ, and after my heart attack, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I needed to keep on working, but now it's becoming a problem. 
I heard about these garlic cayenne drops and hoped it would help me. Well, I've been taking them for about four months, and the way I'm feeling now, I can see how I just might make it to retirement, thanks to Extendivite. My name's Don Wiskin, and I want you to know Extendivite works. If you're looking for more energy or just want to be as healthy as you can, now is the time to join the growing list of real people benefiting from Extendivite. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. Back with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. You're in the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. The subject under discussion, Google+. And also, Rand, is this something where maybe Google can really get a leg up on Facebook, or is it too late? It's never too late for Google because... They have a lot of your information already. You, it's very hard to live online without having a relationship with Google. You have to have, if you have an Android phone, you have to have a Google account. It, you know, a lot of people are using Gmail. A lot of people are using GChat. A lot of people obviously use the photo sharing services. Uh, you know, they use Google's Maps. They use obviously almost everybody uses their search. So. I think Google just has a natural advantage where they don't maybe they don't even necessarily need to be better than Facebook. Maybe if they can just match Facebook or match some of the core functionality of Facebook, they can win or or compete very strongly just by virtue of the fact that you're already on Google. They they don't need to get you to register because you know, it's it's hard to avoid Google. So I think this is obviously a wise move for them. I don't think they've done a lot to say, to say that they've innovated over and above what Facebook is doing yet. But even just matching them is is something. And, you know, I'm just most curious to see the APIs and how developers will be able to actually make new things out of Google+. The question I would have, again, is people who are already vested in Facebook, would they look at this and say, why do I need this? And that would be the big question that maybe Google has to resolve in the minds of users. Yeah, everybody has some Google thing going on, but do people want another service? I mean, Google tried something else as kind of a social networking thing, what, way back when, and that didn't do so well? Yeah, I mean, you know... Obviously, you've had things like Buzz and Wave, but I think what I think what Google learned is they learned that people like the Facebook style of social networking, so they created something that is ex- very much like it, rather than trying to kind of reinvent the wheel. Now, I think they still need to put some more effort into actually making Google Plus innovate a little innovate a bit more because you know right now it, it does feel to me like something that's just very very similar uh, to Facebook 
although the possibility of how it integrates with your other Google services is probably its biggest selling point. Well, the issue would still be, though, people who are already inundated with social networking, are they going to look to another alternative? I mean, we have, what, 750 million Facebook users out there. You know, that's pretty compelling. And the question is, how much time, free time, do people have to want to try another social networking? I mean, if we look in payments, for example, we have PayPal, which is very, very successful, part of eBay now. And by the way, the founder of PayPal is one of the guys who's building a spaceship, if we recall that. Okay, now we have Google Checkout. How many people use Google Checkout? It's been out for a few years. Three people use it? Uh, Only when they give me a discount. (laughs) Occasionally, Occasionally, they'll run a promotion around the holiday time where if you buy from a certain vendor and use Google Checkout, uh, you get like $5 off or something. So that's an incentive. But you're right. PayPal is the, you know, is the 10,000-pound gorilla in the mobile payment, in the you know, online payment space. And why on earth would somebody want to switch unless there was a compelling reason to do so? And I think Google Plus still ha- has yet to really provide Facebook users with a compelling reason to stop using Facebook and use Google Plus or use Google Plus in addition to Facebook. But they do seem like highly competitive services. Like it doesn't really seem like you would really want or need to to have both because they pretty much do the same thing. So Google, if they want to make this work, they have to show an advantage. But it's also true with Google. They'll introduce services. They're beta. They'll come, they'll go. Some take off, some don't. Gmail obviously made a difference. But not everything Google does takes off. It's not just because they're Google. They try everything. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a, a shot, but I don't really see how this is. I just think that the weight of Google's um, influence in the marketplace uh, says that people are going to use this. Uh, I don't know if after a while people are going to get bored of it and people are going to be signed up for Google Plus and not log in and check it much. The fact is that since the plus alerts are integrated into your Google experience, you're going to have a hard time avoiding Google Plus. And considering that it does the functions you know that you kind of have come to expect and, and want from Facebook, I think just by virtue of it's constantly being in your face when you're logged into your Gmail or even when you're surf- searching on Google, it, that bar can be there. I think... Uh, I think it's going to be hard to avoid, and I think it's just going to win by being in people's face. Okay, just remember also with Gmail, not everybody gets Gmail from the web. Some people use a regular email client, so it's not going to be visible there. That's true. No, there's no question. But, you know, there's just a lot of Google services that people can be logged into. Uh, You know, if you use Picasa, if you use Documents, if you use Reader, if you log in and you stay logged in, whether or not you're using the Gmail function, you could be, you know, searching the web and you could have the Google toolbar up there. So it's it's kind of, you know, you're right. There's a lot of people, there may be a lot of people who don't use it. And there may be people who are kind of bored of it and feel like it's, you know, feel like they don't need this over Facebook. But the service is going to have a lot of a high user base. And so it's going to be something. And then it's going to allow Google to figure out maybe what the next step is. But they've got some pretty strong competition in Facebook. So I wouldn't necessarily, 
I certainly wouldn't count Facebook out at this point. No, and the other question is here, how could Facebook screw up? Because that's one thing there, too. Facebook could lose by screwing up. Obviously, the concern people have now is privacy, but that comes and goes. And maybe Facebook makes a few changes to its terms of service and the settings, and people don't talk about that. So that's the thing, too. Facebook, it's their game to lose, isn't it? Why did MySpace lose? I mean, one day it was MySpace, the next day it was Facebook. What happened? I think what happened with MySpace is, first of all, the kind of people who were using MySpace, it just got a bad reputation. It got a reputation like some kind of a bad bar or bad restaurant. It was like you had a bunch of you know, young teenagers hanging out, creating these horribly ugly personal web pages on MySpace with all kinds of vile, you know, graph, graph, flashing graphics and playing music. It was like, it was like GeoCities on steroids on, on Facebook. And I think that was a turnoff to a lot of people. And it just didn't work and perform like a, like a functional, sleek web tool. And then you had all these kind of trendy college students who started on, you know, originally, unless you were a college student, you couldn't get onto Facebook, who started on Facebook. And I think the quality of the technology of Facebook and the quality of the initial group of people who were on Facebook uh, sort of combined. And then you saw businesses turning to Facebook and kind of turning away from MySpace and from promoting MySpace. And, yeah, I think MySpace stopped innovating. Now, that raises a question about Google. Do you think Google getting into so many avenues that people will suffer from some kind of Google overload? They'll say, you know, enough, enough already. We've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, and now Google, leave me alone already. They might. They might. I mean, this this might be – I mean, obviously, it's popular right now. It's, it's obviously big news right now because it just came out and not everyone can get in. But here's, who I, here's, here's who's not asking me about Google+. Plus. My mom. You know, my relatives, no, but none of those people do I see going on to Google Plus right now. It's early adopters and geeks who want to see what it's about uh, right now. It's so, basically people like us who care. Yeah, it's, it's people like us who care. So, And maybe listeners to this show because we cater to a wide audience of people who are not always sophisticated in technology. Many are, but not everyone. Yeah, well, I, I would say, you know, if they want to if they can get in and they want to try playing with it, it's a lot like Facebook. Uh, and so you might like the interface better. You might like the Hangouts feature, which is not replicated on Facebook, which is a lot like almost like almost like a chat roulette sort of thing, although not quite a roulette, where you can do a video chat with a lot of people at once. That's, that's pretty neat. Uh, so there are things about it that are neat, but is it, you know, does it make it a really strong case that this is a new way of doing social networking that's going to beat the pants off of Facebook or that should stop you from using Facebook. No, it doesn't. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're back in our final hour of the Tech Night All Live. Our guest is Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at laptopmag.com. And we're not focusing so much on notebooks, but on experiences. We have Google+, which is an experience that may or may not take off. It might be one of those flashes in the pan. We'll have to see what happens. There is an interesting column that you have, and it's about the tablet revolution, quote-unquote, and it's headlined, Newsflash, You Don't Need a Tablet. Avram, tell me why. Well, you know, we're all, you know, in in this kind of uh, tech ecosphere that a lot of us live in, it seems like everything is about tablets the last year, year and a half since iPad came out. And while obviously... Uh, tablets are big news and a lot of people want them and they're something that consumers hear about and they think I need to have this. It's a little bit frightening when you think about a little bit frightening when you think about the lengths to which people will go to get a piece of technology that actually is not a necessity right now uh, to have in your digital life. And that to me is really frightening. And I think that uh, the average consumer needs to just kind of wake up and say, do I really need a tablet? Perhaps I want a tablet, and it's certainly cool and great to buy gadgets that you want. Uh, but when I turned on the TV the other day and I saw that Rent-A-Center, uh, which engages in just a horrible practice of, of of getting you to rent a piece of technology for like a year and a half so, and, and pay like, you know, triple the price over that time is, is, is advertising that you should get a tablet from – you should rent a tablet from them for 78 weeks – Uh, and get this $450 Acer tablet for $1,500 because you need it, you know, be desperate for it. That's kind of frightening. I I mean, you don't, there's nobody around who needs a tablet. Especially not $1,500. No, I mean, you know, I I think, first of all, I mean, it's been in the news lately, of course, you know, and this is a tech show, so we won't necessarily talk about the the problems of retail that obviously rent-to-own is, you know, pretty obviously stores like Rent Center and others that try to get you to rent to own are, are obviously a huge ripoff. Consumer Reports has done some stories on this. They uh, cater and- to people with bad credit ratings who can't get credit to buy something. So they go to a place like that knowing, maybe knowing they're being ripped off, but they have no alternative. They can't put together $500 for a tablet. But if it's going to be, you know, $10, $20 a week or a month or something, they'll do it. See, 
that's that's what kind of struck me when I saw this campaign that they have going on now to try and get people to do that because you know I can sort of I think we can all feel compassion for a family that you know their kids don't have a computer because in 2011 quite honestly you really do need a computer uh, for your kids to do well in school uh, you do need a computer to you know it is something that families and, and individuals really need. Uh, to live their kind of digital life in the in the 21st century, uh, but uh, my point in writing this article is we haven't gotten there yet with a tablet. We haven't gotten to that point yet where having a tablet is a must-have for work, for school, or for your family. It's a nice luxury that a lot of people have, but it's it's not a must-have. And I think. That's the perspective that we have to take on these. Now, hopefully, maybe someday we'll reach a point where you just can't live without a tablet. A few years ago, you could live without a, you could live without a smartphone. Now, you know, if you want to be a connected individual in the 21st century and you've got a, a modern job and you're living with a modern family, it's hard not to, to live without a smartphone. It's, it, you, know, you, you really want to have one. We're not, I don't think we're anywhere near there with tablets yet, though. Well, I think the phenomenon here, if there is a tablet phenomenon, it's mostly largely catering to one product. Lives or dies by the iPad, and if interest falls off, I think it will fall off for every other product because they're not offering a better alternative. They're just offering an alternative. Uh, I mean, that's true. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we recently reviewed the HP Touchpad, the BlackBerry Playbook, uh, a number of Android tablets. Some of the Android tablets were okay, but a lot of these things, like the touchpad and, and the playbook, I mean, they're pretty much beta-level products uh, that are being released, and they're not anywhere close to being competitive with the iPad. But I don't even think the iPad has made the case to anyone, Apple's made the case to anyone, that the iPad is a necessity for work or education or things that kind of you know put food, clothing, sh- clothing, and shelter, you know, give you food, clothing, and shelter. It's a nice device. It's entertaining, and there are some industries that are starting to use them. But I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who can get more work done for their job on an iPad than they can on their notebook. By the uh, way, I will give you this news flash this week from Apple, and that is the delay, the backlog in getting an iPad. Up to now, it's been one to two weeks. It's now three to five business days. So maybe Apple's getting a handle on the production. Well, I mean, that would be good because, you know, I'm certainly not against tablets. I think it's great. It's great to have this this kind of new category of devices that was really nascent and, and kind of niche a couple of years ago. And Apple deserves a lot of credit for really creating this category of consumer tablets but I don't think anyone has come out with that killer app that says you need this for your business or you need this for school. We might get there as more people are getting tablets. The software may build around it. Now, I have to tell you something here, and I can't give you all the information. One of my clients is a person who prepares educational textbooks, and he says there's a big initiative there to transfer some of those textbooks to the iPad. When I think that will be kind of a moment, the moment when you can go to school and you can get all of your textbooks on your tablet, that will be a moment of change. 
That will also be a lifesaver for students who have to be saddled with these backpacks with 50 pounds of books or something back there. And you wonder about the orthopedic surgeons who are checking the backs of these students when they suffer back pains. No, it's there's I mean, I think the the couple of things that tablet makers and, and kind of the ecosystem could do to make the tablet really indispensable and not just a device that can be used for, for work and education, but one that must be, is focus on note taking and focus on, you know, textbooks and focus on the actual things that you need to do while standing because this is the only form factor that really, really works well for, you know, doing work while you're, while you're standing up. I mean, obviously trying to work on a notebook while you're standing up and walking around is a pretty difficult thing to do. Well, certainly a doctor, a nurse making their rounds, all the medical records are accessible from their tablet. We assume iPad at this particular point in time, because it has all the software. And that is, this is a boon for them. They can also use the, point where you plug in your connections, your peripheral port, to plug in medical testing instruments. There's a wide range of potential uses in different industries for that thing. What about a court stenographer taking notes on iPad? See, but I think what's missing there is is the pen. And Apple has not said anything about supporting pen input, but we are starting to see uh, first of all, for years we've seen in the Windows space uh, Windows tablets that were expensive and not particularly appealing to consumers, uh, but supported pen and supported you know standard Windows apps like OneNote. Um, now we're starting to see in the Android space uh, pen input, and I think pen input is what kind of separates uh, you know the the toys from the tools. Uh, and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing, you know, more devices that come with pen. Unfortunately, the HTC Flyer, which was the first Android device to come out to support that supports a real you know a real pen, uh, is kind of crappy. Because yeah, but we've also had tablets that support pens for years, and they went nowhere. They went nowhere with consumers. They went, went nowhere somewhere with businesses. But I have to tell you. Our family doctor used one of those products, a Fujitsu tablet computer with a pen, and he had to go from the pen to the keyboard and back to the pen, and you never heard such cursing. Their entire practice suffered because it took longer to see a patient. Got more to say with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. 
That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Are you wondering about your retirement portfolio? Are you confident that the financial advisor is experienced enough to combat climbing interest rates, taxes, and inflation? Stop guessing and go to the expert, Robert Chapman of the International Forecaster. When you subscribe to the International Forecaster, you get Robert Chapman's 45 years of experience and concise investment recommendations. Who needs sugar-coated excuses when you can get the cold hard facts and proven investment leads you can't get anywhere else? For a free introductory copy to Robert Chapman's International Forecaster, Subscribe now at the internationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. Experience the difference. When you subscribe, you can email Robert Chapman directly to obtain investment advice tailored just for you. Don't wait another minute. Subscribe today at the internationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. That's 877-479-8178. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800 880 Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night All Live, send it to News at TechNightOwl.com. That's news at TechNightOwl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. The question on the table, can you live without the tablet? Haverim Pilch of Laptop Magazine talking about the fact that, all right, obviously the iPad is popular. 
The other tablets haven't gone that far yet. But will it be that way? Will it become a staple in our digital lifestyle and business world, whatever? I have to tell you, my wife never took personal computers, never took to my notebook. She loves the iPad. You can't even get it away from her. I, I think the question isn't whether people enjoy using the tablet, but whether, the, whether for sort of practical uses like productivity, um, you know, office you know, office software, you know, photo editing, video editing, you know, the things that people need to do to kind of pay the bills or get an education, the things that you really can't live, can't live without because they actually hit you in, in the pocketbook uh, and in the lifestyle. Uh, do you, do you need a tablet today? And, you know, in certain vertical industries, We've seen tablet usage for for years, such as such as medical, and those those industries have always benefited from it and could benefit now even more that we have better technology. But um, I don't think that we're at that point yet where too many too many people who are you know are working at typical office jobs or are students or you know or families need a tablet there are people obviously they like having it they enjoy it and and that's that's great uh but i don't think we've re- i don't think we've passed that that kind of that moment of reflection where you say wow to really to live to live well in the 21st century you must have a tablet we've passed that point with computers we and now i think we've passed that point with with smartphones it's very it is a real disadvantage to you not to have those devices but I don't think we're there yet with tablets. That tale will be told a year or two out. We have to see how the iPad does, whether the competition gets a leg up. We'll have to see. Now, let me give you a reality check here. My wife loves the iPad. I don't use it that much. Not because she won't let me. It's because I'm so used in my workflow to working with a desktop computer and a notebook that I haven't become accustomed to the iPad. I've said that for a couple of years. And we'll have to see where that goes. Where it goes is, let's go to the third subject of our session with Abram Pilch. Windows 8, a week before Apple has its WWDC session for developers, introducing the final release information of Mac OS 10.7, Lion, iOS 5, iCloud, all that stuff. Microsoft has a brief demonstration of Windows 8. And I gather, Avram, you've been looking into Windows 8. What's the story? Will it be too little, too late compared to Lion? Well, Windows has such such a dominant position in the market that Microsoft, uh, whatever they come out with, there's a built-in audience of people who are going to use it. I think the question is, is it too little, too late to bring Microsoft into the tablet race and to get people excited about Windows again. Because I don't think Microsoft is in any danger of losing the desktop, although obviously we see Apple taking some share from them as Macs and and kind of the Mac ecosystem becomes more popular. But what Microsoft is trying to do here is they're actually trying to build a single operating system that works on both the desktop and on your tablets, which is quite different than what Apple did, creating something that works on both phones and tablets. Well, of course, there's also the story that Lion has got more and more features that are taken from the iOS. 
Yes, it's interesting because it's actually the exact opposite strategy for Microsoft. Apple's strategy was to kind of build iOS for the phone and kind of take the learnings from iOS and bring them up to larger and larger devices and now bring some of them into the desktop. And now you have Microsoft doing the opposite and saying, we're going to take what we've learned with Windows 7 and our over two decades of, of Windows, and we're going to, we're going to bring it to, to tablets. If you've seen the interface for Windows 8, it actually looks quite a bit like Windows Phone. I mean, if you look at it, it's very tile-based. So no more start menu, no more desktop with icons. Those things are there, but they're, they're hidden. You can get to them if you want. They say, but isn't that kind of like window dressing, forgive the pun? Well, they say, and in their demo they show that, yes, the Windows apps are, the, the old-time Windows apps are there. But what's interesting is they're actually moving away from the metaphor of Windows. Literally, it's Windows without Windows, without little, you know, without title bars and, and the little, you know, X in the corner to close and all that. Instead of having these windows floating around on your screen, you've got things are kind of designed to run full screen and then you can kind of drag another app in and have it on the side, sort of snap to the side. Uh, but the apps really are no longer sitting in windows. Now, you can get to that. And I have a feeling many people will want to, even even a year and a half from now when this comes out. But I think what is radical about it is what they've the thinking that they've done in terms of what the UI should be. Uh, but you're right. I think under the surface, you'll still be able to get. There's no question you'll still be able to get to Windows. Hey, I, I'm sure a lot of us old-time Windows aficionados know that somewhere under the surface, we can still get to a command prompt that looks a heck of a lot like DOS. Okay, is that the wrong way to go? Maybe Microsoft should have been moving in the other direction? Well, you know, I think it's interesting because what they're trying to say is that what works well on a tablet works well on the desktop and that you could actually use this new interface just as well with a keyboard and a mouse as you can with your finger. I think that really remains to be seen. It's interesting also because they're planning to release Windows 8 uh, not only on the current generation of Intel and AMD uh, x86 CPUs that we've all come to know and love in our, in our PCs and, and Macs over the years, but on ARM processors like you're seeing in, in Android tablets and obviously like you're seeing you know, in, in basically all the tablets today that are on Windows. So those will actually allow for probably cheaper uh, longer-lasting devices that are based on Windows 8, and you're also going to see things that are very tablet-like in the desktop operating system in the sense that just as with WebOS and um, BlackBerry's Tablet OS, developers will be able to actually create basically web apps that run on the desktop. In other words, just as you write a web page in HTML and JavaScript, which are easy programming languages to learn, you will be able to write a Windows application in HTML and JavaScript. So uh, they're so, trying to do exactly what the WebOS tried to do. What Apple suggested you do for the first year of the iOS with the first iPhone, they didn't have an app store. They said, well, write web apps. I think the um, ho- hopefully, and this obviously remains to be seen uh, when we attend uh, Microsoft's Build Conference in September and they r- reveal more details about how you'll be able to develop is that hopefully these web apps 
these desktop web apps, so to speak, because they'll work offline, will have access to the hardware, which is something that no website has access to. So we have to access this. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Energy, energy, and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extracts. Wild Chagan birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild Chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterile needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with Wild Birch Bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop. Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. GCN listeners, why have you been hearing so much about Dermatol, the all-natural, all-purpose first aid spray? Because it's the must-have first aid product you need in your preparedness kit. Dermatol is made in America by Americans who know there's a more affordable, natural way to treat cuts, burns, bites, rashes, shingles, boils, and many other skin problems. Dermatol is gentle enough for diaper rash, powerful enough for bed sores, and harmless to the eyes and mouth. It's great for the whole family, even your family pets. Dermatol is antimicrobial, antifungal, antivirus, 
spiral and not diminish by freezing, extreme heat, or years in storage. Dermatol is an absolute must for any first aid or preparedness kit. Dermatol's soothing rapid restoration of injured skin is so effective it's guaranteed. Order yours today. Call 800-217-6677. 800-217-6677. That's 800-217-6677. Efficient, economical, effective. Spray it all with Dermatol. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We're back with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. The subject on the table is Windows 8, which has some Surface inspiration from Windows Phone 7, and it's going to be a year and a half from now, meaning the latter part of 2012. There's some debate over whether it's going to be early 2012 or mid-2012 or late 2012. I'll put my... um I'll say I think it's going to be summer or it's going to be sometime between June and and September of next year. I think well, obviously tr- for good sales, you want to have this available for PC makers to have on their computers before the holiday season. So you want to talk about no later than September or October, which is a time frame that Microsoft has used in the past. I think Windows XP came out in what, October time frame? As did Windows 7. So I wouldn't be surprised if it came out in October, but, but uh, the analysts that I've talked to are saying they think Microsoft is going to try and speed it up and try and hit you know Q2 of next year. I think that they're not going to be so fast, but maybe because they kind of see the pressure to hit to, to do well for the holiday season, they'll try to squeeze in a little bit earlier. Obviously, they're already tremendously behind in the tablet race. And I don't know if this is really going to be the solution that helps them. I think it's... But it comes back to the philosophy again that's different. Apple develops, even though it has the same basic core, Mac OS X, they develop an iOS, an operating system strictly for mobile devices. First, of course, the iPhone, then the iPad. With Mac OS X, they've brought a few things over, but still, it's just a small number of key features. Most of the features online from the stuff we've all read are specific to a desktop computer operating system. Microsoft wants to have it all in one. You know, I don't think it's impossible for them to do, and I think it's certainly a huge benefit uh, to developers who can say, I'm going to make an app that, that works in both environments without having to create different code. But I think they're not going to. They're going to be judged ultimately. First of all, they're going to be judged about ultimately on a, a few things. They're going to be judged on the ecosystem of apps and the ecosystem, specifically the ecosystem of tablet-friendly apps. They're going to be judged on is does this really feel like a touch and mobile experience, or does it feel like desktop Windows on a tablet? Because that's what Windows tablets feel like today. And they're going to be judged on on the hardware that that people use. Uh, to create these experiences. So are they going to be sleek, attractive tablets? Are they going to be lightweight? Are the screens going to be nice? I mean, when Apple introduces a product, because they control the whole whole ecosystem, because they control the hardware and the software, 
they don't come out with you know with something that has great software and crappy hardware. Uh, they put together a complete package, and I think what Microsoft really has to be looking for is sort of the Motorola Droid of, of Windows of Windows Eight. I mean, the Droid, as you as your listeners may recall, was really the phone that made Android a household name. Uh, and then after that, there were a whole bunch of phones that followed in its footsteps. But when the Droid came out, it really was, I think, the proof of concept that this this Android thing, which had been around on some kind of lame phones before that, is actually really pretty good. I, I think they, they need some kind of a flagship product like that. Microsoft needs a, a really good flagship tablet to release. Sure, but the efforts from Motorola to produce a tablet, the Zoom, it faltered. Yeah, no question. It faltered also because there were a lot of bugs in the operating system uh, because there weren't enough people developing for honey, for Android Honeycomb. And because it was a lot more expensive uh, than or, or a lot more expensive than Apple, and now that the prices are kind of achieving parity with the iPad, people are asking, why am I paying the same for less? And the so, other thing here, you have to look at the application. As of this week, Apple reports 425,000 apps in the App Store, 100,000 of which are natively optimized for iPad. And many of them work on both. This is where Microsoft Microsoft is going to have a hard time exciting developers. But the good news for Microsoft is that they have a lot of developers who already know how to use their platforms like .NET. They're, they're building in support for this kind of easy development that can be done with HTML and JavaScript. And they're kind of hoping that through the combination of those things, they're going to build critical mass, which Google has found is tough to do. But I think actually Microsoft has such a good track record of supporting developers and they have such a dedicated developer community that if they support their developers properly, which we still don't really know, uh, you well, know, the transition is one thing. The issue being if you're going to go towards web apps and HTML5, but you've already invested everything in net apps, in Microsoft's traditional developer tools, suddenly you've got to change things. Well, hopefully it will support both. They haven't really been a little bit too quiet for a lot of uh, people in the development community about exactly what you can expect if you're a .NET developer and you want to develop tablet apps for Windows 8. And they said, well, wait until build and we'll, we'll give you the full scoop. Uh, but I would, would be surprised if they, if they threw their loyal developers under the bus. And I would also be surprised if these web apps actually can achieve the same the same kind of things that a, a .NET app can. I mean, HTML5 is great, but are you going to build World of Warcraft in HTML5? I don't, I don't think that's possible. So ultimately, while the browser is still, you know, is, is evolving and you can do a lot of browser-based stuff, I think you're still going to see a lot of, you know, that things like Office and things like, you know, and, and things like uh, games have to be, compiled and you know the question is are the big companies the big development companies going to embrace this are we going to see some great touch friendly games from EA are we going to see some really killer utilities is Adobe going to come out with a wonderful Photoshop for Windows 8 like I think wh- Adobe wants to make one app which works on multiple platforms that's always been the problem yeah I, I think that's true but 
you know, it's it's difficult. It's difficult when you want to get ac- native access to the hardware. Well, you know what? We don't know today. It's very preliminary in the game. Early in the game for Windows 8. We're not going to see it until the middle or the latter part of 2012, maybe even later. So I guess it's going to have to be a question we can't answer. By the way, and this is something we've talked about before. I read about this the other day, and it reminded me of something because of the litigation between Google and Oracle over Java, which is an important part, of course, of the Android development platform. And that is that even companies who sell Android OS gear have to spend several dollars on every phone they sell and give it to Microsoft for certain patents. It's crazy. Tell um, me about this. Explain this to our listeners. They're probably wondering what the heck is this all about. Well, the uh, the really frank way to talk about it is it's patent trolling. Uh, Microsoft owns a number of patents, uh, which they say apply to um, aspects of the Android operating system. But if you read through these patents, uh, some of them are things like really that are really vague like browsing in a window or you know things that basically could apply to almost any smartphone breathing on the floor opening the window picking up a telephone that's a patent for that it's like remember there used to be an app for that you want to pick up the phone there's a patent for that because our patent system is horribly broken uh, but people are, but it's extremely profitable to companies like Microsoft that can do this. Now, what's interesting is that Microsoft hasn't really de- successfully defended these patents in court, uh, so much as that these other vendors that they're hitting up for money just don't want to fight Microsoft. So HTC, I believe, they is will acquiesce by virtue of the fact that. It's Microsoft. They don't want to have to get involved in any more litigation. A lot of them are being sued by Apple or somebody else. Let's just take the easy way out. Write them a check and be done with it. We have Abram Pilch, who is not writing us a check. He gets his checks from Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. I get my checks sometimes from the Tech Night Owl Live. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Devon Think is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devon Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off all there at devontechnologies.com. That's devontechnologies.com. Attention, all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public, like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. 
You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet and get the details at varadio.com. VARadio.com is a website of iFreedom Direct Corporation, a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to VARadio.com or call 888-900-VA-LOAN. Licensed by the New Hampshire Banking Department. Company NMLS number 3122 and Lewis NMLS number 157603. VARadio.com. Local Army Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits, magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches, first aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge Molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. The largest part of gaining radiant health is detoxification. You can drink ionized water, cleanse your intestines, eat a perfect diet, and even take lots of quality supplements and in many instances only make minimal progress. What is the key to detoxifying your body of mercury, heavy metals, chemicals, and drugs? It is glutathione. Glutathione is the master antioxidant used to detoxify your entire body. It stops free radicals, keeps cells young, and reduces inflammation. One World Way protein powder may be able to raise your glutathione production by 64% or more. One World Whey is more effective than any other whey protein powder on the market because it is unheated and from grass-fed cows. All other, quote, cold-processed whey protein powders have been heated and damaged by 15% or more. One World Whey comes in three delicious flavors. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We're back with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. And we're not talking about the checks we get or don't get because they're not enough to talk about. You know, you think people on radio are rich if they're Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or all these people making hundreds of millions of dollars a year or Howard Stern on satellite radio. And then there is us. I don't know. Okay, so Microsoft is basically, you know, are they extorting the money? We're not getting legal here, but just the threat of being sued by Microsoft. You don't want that. Give them five bucks a phone. Yeah, basically that's what they're doing. The other thing that's kind of uh, unfortunately happening here is that a lot of the companies that are uh, paying, you know, basically giving these, uh, these payoffs, this protection money to Microsoft, uh, are companies that have great relationships with Microsoft 
and are really helping Microsoft move their own phone platform forward. So, But isn't uh, it true also Microsoft may be making more money from licenses of Android phones than from Windows Phone 7 licenses? That's what I heard. Yeah, I think that's true. But it, it's kind of um, – they're, they're sort of double dipping from these companies because you have a company like HTC that is a premier partner of Microsoft. For years they came out with uh, – you know, with – uh, with Windows Phone phones. Now they're coming out with Windows Phone 7 and Windows Phone 7 devices. And Microsoft is, is saying to them, not only, you know, you're helping us out because, you know, Microsoft's not a phone manufacturer. So if HTC and uh, LG uh, and, and all those folks suddenly decided to stop making Windows Phone 7 phones, of course, we'd still have Nokia who who's very uh, interested in making Windows Phone 7 phones. but Because they're getting bribed by Microsoft to do so. Because they're getting paid. But, it's a bribe. Know, forget it. <laughs> but these companies, like they're helping Microsoft out, and Microsoft's basically charging them a, you know, a competitive tax. Now, what's, I, what I read today that I find interesting is that so far Motorola and Barnes & Noble have not agreed to pay these fees. And so Barnes & Noble for the Nook. I'd actually like to see... What happens if these cases go to court? What it really shows is that our patent system is incredibly broken. Apparently, you have a bunch of, I don't know, minimum wage idiots or something uh, running the patent office who will uh, patent the method for picking someone's nose and, and turn that into a, into a boondoggle for someone. Shh, don't tell anyone. You know, it, it, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous, but I don't think, I don't think there's enough momentum uh, from anyone behind sort of patent reform because every company that doesn't like that someone else has a patent has patents of their own that they want to protect. So I, I think there have been times when Microsoft has been on the other end of this, the other end of this argument uh, where they've been sued, you know, for supposedly violating other people's patents. Every company, every company does this and it's just too appealing to them to enforce the patents on other people for them to kind of take a look at how, how bad this is for the industry. And there's just a lot of money and lobbying and other things to, I guess, stop patent reform from happening. But this is a really bad problem for not just for companies. It's a bad problem for your listeners. It's a bad problem for all of us because what it means is you're paying that tax. Now you're let's pay- talk about one thing very briefly here. A- Bankrupt Canadian telecom company, Nortel, owns huge patent portfolios. So they, bankruptcy court, auctions them off. And suddenly you've got Google, you've got Apple, you've got Microsoft, but then you've got all these companies working together. So suddenly you have this unlikely combination of Apple, Ericsson, Research in Motion, Microsoft, and a couple of other companies emerging victorious. It's like a marriage of convenience. Suddenly, as part of the bidding process, you have companies who are rivals to each other, and now they're working together. What's going on here? It's a crazy world out there. Uh, I think they all. I think they all see the uh, the possibility of making a mint off of the Nortel patents, uh, because once again, those are other those are other patents, things that relate to networking. Who knows what? Who knows what they could try and, and sue people or get money. From people out of it. Do you, do you remember the whole British Telecom thing a, couple, a few years ago when they they wanted to get paid for every hyperlink on the internet? Vaguely, tell our listeners. So 
British Telecom claimed to have a patent on the concept of hyperlinking that went back to the 70s. And they were calling up um, internet service providers and internet companies and uh, trying to actually get them to pay a royalty for putting links on their website, any kind of link, anywhere. Uh, I think this, this obviously didn't go very far. Not many people would, would give in to them. And, but, you know, they had a bunch of trolling lawyers who would send nasty notes to people. And a lot of people realize, especially if you're in a small business, if you're being asked to, by a lawyer to do something, the cost for you to hire another lawyer to defend yourself might be a lot more than just uh, giving in and basically paying the protection fee. Uh, that's they why must this have learned system. something from one of the Godfather movies here. It, it really is. I mean, this whole patent system, it's a racket. It's not protecting anyone's innovations at all. If Microsoft was interested in protecting their innovations, what, and if they really were innovations, they would try to stop Google from, from coming out with Android or force Google to remove whatever these offending features were from Android rather than trying to hit people up for money because they would feel that this was encroaching on their innovation. But they just see it as a revenue stream. They should be happy that Android is successful. They're making more money off of... I heard that Microsoft is making more money off of Android than Google. We were mentioning that, yeah, that basically Google only makes money from the ads they sell. They give away the operating system. This is something that people have to understand. It's monetized by the targeted ads, the advertisers who take advantage of one of Google's services. They're providing the income. So if you use a Google product or service on your Android device or even on your iPhone because you have Google there too or your iPad or your Mac or PC, whenever you do something in a Google product or service with an ad, you click on that ad, the cash register rings. You can hear that silent cash register (laughs) ringing as Google says, yes, we're laughing the way to the bank because we don't have to sell a product. We just sell advertising. Well, I mean, it's certainly been a successful model for them, but it's kind of frightening that Microsoft is actually the one making out on this. And again, you notice that they're not, they haven't been trying to stop Google from selling Android. They're not really offended, uh, or you know, I'm sure they may say they're offended, but they're not really offended by Google by Google being succeeding with Android because it's a profit center for them. How odd is that? Well, of course, Oracle's offended because they continue to have litigation against Google over Java because that's an important part of the Android OS. Yeah, no, no question. But you know, somehow when you have a successful product like like Android, somebody, even if Google loses, it's hard for me to believe that they would have to stop recall or stop shipping the Android OS. Somehow, they will write they a check. have to pay someone off. They will write a check. It all goes back, look at the lawsuit with TiVo. You know, they patented this capability of being able to watch a TV show and record another TV show. We take it for granted, right? Well, TiVo got one of the patents on this. They sued Dish Network, and now they're getting a $600 million payday as a result. Except, of course, that's, I think, all the profit that TiVo makes is from licensing and lawsuits. Avram Pilch, tell our listeners where we can find more of the things that you're up to. 
Go to laptopmag.com slash geeksgeek to see my weekly columns. And, of course, check out all of our wonderful notebook and tablet and phone reviews at laptopmag.com. That's our head geek from laptopmag.com. By the way, you can find us Twitter. We're Tech Night Owl at Twitter. That's Tech Night Owl at Twitter. You can also check us out on technightowl.com where I have my daily commentaries about this, that, and the other thing. Write us news at technightowl.com. That's news and technightowl.com. News at technightowl.com. And check out our other radio show now broadcast also newest city new york city wvnj in new york city the paracast at paracast.com about ufos things that go bump in the night a special thanks to avram pilch thanks for joining us on the tech night owl live always a pleasure is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.